0: Hello and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number nine. Brian and I are welcoming our first guest to the Bistro today, Mark Zeiss. Mark is a man of many talents. Mark has been a professor for many years and is finishing his final year of teaching at Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. He has participated in archeological digs and frequently leads trips through Israel-Palestine. This upcoming episode with Mark is more like an introduction as we get to hear from him about the work he has done and what has been meaningful to him about his work. We will have more with Mark in later episodes. If you missed last week's episode, Brian and I talked about our trips to Israel-Palestine and our experiences, but also talked about a couple biblical passages and how archaeological work that is taking place today helps to inform us about the narratives in Scripture. If you missed that episode, stop what you're doing, stop right now, and go back and take a listen. If you did listen, Mark continues that thought as he talks about what biblical archeology span is and that the context of the find is important to its understanding. We know this episode and last have been a little bit of a departure from what we started doing at the beginning, but all this will lead us to next week's episode talking about worldview. And then onto more exploration of the temple conversation and the church's mission we started in John 14. It's kind of a long and winding road, but one that is definitely worth the travel. We hope you will journey with us on this thought. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review with Apple Podcasts and share our Facebook or Instagram posts. We would love to share this content with as many people as possible. With all that said, let's jump in and hear from Bible Land Explorer, Mark Zies.
1: Well, welcome back to the Bible Bistro. Yes, welcome back. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm well. Good. Yourself? I, I'm doing good. Well, you know, we think the Bible Bistro is a very special place, right? Yeah. Well, yes. And, I keep
0: coming back. I can't resist. <laughs> and we don't just let it, we don't just
1: let anybody in. <laughs> We've got a bouncer at the door. But but we have a friend today, and and I am very thrilled that he's here. Mark Zeese is here with us today. And uh, Mark, welcome hey. to the Bistro. Yes, welcome, Mark.
2: Thank you. I just learned there were no snacks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no. sorry about that. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's good kind to be of. A, here. Thank you. You're welcome. It's kind of a bring-your-own-snack bistro. So oh, okay, sorry about okay. that. But uh, let me introduce you. Mark is we we you know archaeology is one of the topics we've talked about on the podcast to this point. I had a professor once tell me. In fact, it's a friend of both of ours. Mark John told me one time said, "You know, there's two ways of doing archaeology. There's the guys who go and dig in the dirt and do the actual work." And then there are the guys who sit back and read about it and make decisions about it and that kind of thing. The thing I like about you, Mark, is you've done both of those things, right? You both have analyzed them and you've also done the actual digging. So Mark was a professor of mine uh, when I was in seminary. And I've said this before, one of his classes had a huge impact on me. Intertestamental history and literature really changed the way I think about and read the Bible and really appreciated for that. And Mark is now the professor at uh, a professor of Old Testament Johnson University, but his title is the Dean of um, the College of Bible and Theology. I should have listened to when you said that earlier. <laughs> yeah, the S- School of Bible and Theology. The School right. of Bible and Theology. The Dean of the School yeah. of Bible and Theology. I apologize. And then uh, he also leads trips to the Holy Land, and he does that under the auspices of the Jerusalem Center for Biblical Studies. Uh, which is a good thing. I've actually when I have been to the Holy Land, uh, Mark's been the leader of my trips, and that's been a really cool thing too. Most of all, though, I consider Mark a friend, and I appreciate him very much for that. So I'm, Mark, I'm pleased that you're here with us today. Oh, th- thank you, Brian. it's It's great to be here. Okay, so let let me ask you a couple of questions. So that, how did you get involved in archaeology to begin with? I mean, how did you start doing this stuff? and what are some of the things that you've you've done in connection with archaeology in the Holy Land?
2: Well, uh, to to be perfectly honest, I envisioned uh, a career in archaeology when I was a wee lad. I don't know, way back when I was a kid, I thought, that is something I'd like to try. Hmm. Went to college, and in the midst of my college experience, one of my professors actually went over to Israel-Palestine in a dig. I went with him. And we spent the summer in the dirt, and I said, "Yeah, this is this is what I want to do." And then I had to figure out how to actually make that happen because <laughs> right. archaeology is is actually not a vocation that one can do for a living, you know. Right. Most archaeologists have patrons or uh, you know deep pockets or something because yeah. Okay. You, you, you know. So I ended up teaching and uh, pursued the, you know the academic side of this and ended up in a university, college, seminary setting where I can teach for most of the months of the year and do archeology span on the side. Cool. Very yeah. Cool.
1: So where did you dig that first, that first time?
2: That very first time um, I dug in a, it's a tiny site just outside of the capital of Palestine known as Ramallah. And it was a, a, a small site that uh, was being touted as a possibility for the biblical site of i or ai that's mm-hmm. uh, discussed in the book of joshua right we didn't know at the time if um, this was the i or could be the i um the site that is usually identified as i is a problem because it doesn't actually have anything there from the period of okay. time that we usually associate with the time of joshua Okay. So a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Joshua is just a myth, it didn't happen. Right. Uh, you know, uh, how do we know it didn't happen? Well, because it's, you know, I is not inhabited in that time. Hmm. Well, what if the site that everybody's saying is I is the wrong site? Okay. So so we were exploring that question.
1: Okay. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So and what was it about you said that you did that and you said this is for me. What was it about about doing it that you really they really caught you, I guess.
2: Well, I, I'm sort of an outside guy. I'd rather right. be outside than inside to start with. And uh, I'd rather be working with my my hands than working with my brain. That's probably the other part of it. <laughs> Try uh, to bring those together, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, archaeology is described in all kinds of ways. Right. Uh, oddly enough, some say it's sort of like being a librarian outside. Hmm unlike you know the hollywood images of the archaeologist right. it's 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 a lot of you know paperwork and a lot of careful recording of things okay and so you know you got binders under your arm and you're drawing pictures and illustrating and describing and doing all that in a in a foreign country and uh, i found it to be exciting
1: cool very cool yeah what are some other places that you've you've dug then what how's your kind of your career gone from then
2: yeah, that was my first my first shot at it. After that, I went to seminary. And one of the reasons I went to seminary was to to actually do excavation work with the professor that was there. And we went over to the country of Jordan. Okay. So I worked in Jordan for a season, jumped back, worked in Israel for another season, went back to Jordan and spent the next 10, 15 years okay. working in Jordan. So most of my work has been in Jordan Back and forth between Israel and Jordan. Okay. My last season was about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And uh, we finished up the project. The team was looking to move on. And they decided to, to shift their attention to Sicily, mm. which would be fun. They got great food in Sicily, <laughs> um, But I said, you know, I, I don't know anything about mm. Sicily. Okay. Uh, so I think I'm going to stick with Israel-Palestine. And that's when I, sort of, that's when I made the shift. As you mentioned earlier in your yeah. talk, uh, your prologue there talking about archaeology or practicing archaeology. Yeah, I, I made the shift to talking about archaeology, right. so that's that's what I do with these tours and things. Sure.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. It, it's great to have someone who's who's so knowledgeable about it. It's not just somebody who's read about it, but somebody who's been there and, and done it. It's a different kind of experience. So. Well look I wonder, mark, could you give us kind of an overview when we think about biblical archaeology w- what are you trying to do with biblical archaeology or give us kind of a, just a for for people who aren't maybe experts in this or you know just to have have an mm-hmm. interest in it? how would you describe what happens with biblical archaeology
2: Well, biblical archaeology has a has a long story we we can't tell it all here <laughs> right but uh certainly it's not digging in the ground with the bible
1: right uh, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
2: Uh, we, we don't. Use, we use trowels and right. tools, but th- there is a weird kind of truth in that. You know, biblical archaeology, at its at its heart, is is not different than any other kind of archaeology. It's not different than South American archaeology or North American archaeology or European archaeology. Everybody uses the same tools, the same techniques. Um, we're driven, you know, by the same science. But what sets Biblical archaeology apart, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, is the fact that what we're trying to do is understand the Bible better. So it's it's archaeology that's pursued in the interest of biblical studies, okay. which makes it kind of special. And in, in that to do it well, um, you need to have some experience with dirt and trowels and shovels, but you also need to know a little bit of something about the text, okay. the languages, the theology, perhaps. Yeah, you know, so it's it's sort of an interdisciplinary okay.
1: pursuit. Kind of the focus of of biblical archaeology then is the kind of the cultures that are talked about in the Bible or that produce the mm-hmm. Bible. These kind of things is that that part of it? And the... yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, there was a guy many many years ago. He was actually an Egyptologist, Kenneth Kitchen, very famous guy, who talks about um, biblical archaeology as. Having specific aims, you know, one of the, the aims of biblical archaeology is is to illuminate, you know, the okay. biblical stories or to illustrate the biblical stories. Okay. Or at best, and of course, this is a hard rung
1: on the ladder to reach, but to confirm mm, okay, to confirm the, the biblical account. And that's what, so, you know, some people think that that's what it's all about. Oh, we, we need to find right. this thing or that thing. But a lot of it, you're saying the majority of it really is more… Some of these other things to illustrate or illuminate and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, you're really hitting the nail on the head there. Biblical archaeology has fallen on hard times. Okay, okay. I think part of it is because of some you know sincere but maybe misguided folk out there mm. that are they're trying to use archaeology as a weapon as a, as a way to. Mm. to, to prove you know that the bible is true in every in every way right while i i wouldn't disagree with that at least in principle i i think that you know proof is an awfully hard thing to come to right. and when it comes to pots and when it comes to houses and when it comes to most of the things that we find on an archaeological site you know these these things don't have voices of their own they require right. interpretation so
1: to say that this proves that is, sure. that is a tall order. It reminds me a little of what you said about I, that you know people are saying, mm-hmm. oh, this, it's almost like a, an absence of evidence was proof in a way that they were trying yeah. to use, you know, the, the to prove something from a negative, basically. So, mm-hmm. well, interesting. Ryan, do you have anything you want to jump yeah,
0: in? Yeah, this is all fascinating. I told him as we were recording this, like, <laughs> I'm just the dummy that's kind of in the corner for this one. You've had a lot of time in the dirt, you know what's been the most impactful thing for you in your faith and your biblical walk? You know, just the—is there—is there anything that's really impacted you besides just the dirt and finding something? Is that's that that's moved you as you've uncovered?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I've i never found in, you know, 25 years of, of work, I've, I've never found anything that was really valuable. You know, I've right. never found any golden goodies or, you know, the <laughs> Ark of the Covenant. Holy Grail, still looking, hasn't right. come up yet. <laughs> I pushed on every one of those walls in that stupid tomb. And none of them <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've never found anything of extreme value in right. that way. But at the same time, there have been moments that I, I suppose would be touches. Maybe is one way to describe it. Touches with the ancient world. Mm. It's it's really striking when you pull a, a, a let's just say a clay pot out of the ground, okay, and it's coming up for the first time, and you look at how that pot was constructed, and you can see from the swirls that it was made on a wheel, and you can tell by you know, a curve in one place the guy that made this thing on the wheel was using his knuckle. You know, that's mm. how he was shaping this thing. And then he picks it up off of the wheel. And as he does so, you know, he, he sticks his thumb on it and sets it down. And now here I am digging this pot up and I pick it up with my hands and I and I grab it just like he did. And my thumb mm. finds that indentation on the rim. And I'm thinking, you know, the guy... The guy that made this, his hands were just like mine, right? You know, and, and here I am for the first time, maybe in two thousand years, touching a jar that's mm. you know, been in the ground, and, and that's what I mean by, you know, a, a touch, right? What does that, you know, does that send your faith over the moon? Well, no, but it is, it's special, right? Because it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a way in which we as moderns can relate to the generations that have, that have come before. And, you know, that guy's dead. He's been dead for thousands of years. And yet he was just like me.
1: Right. Mm. And you
2: wonder, what did he eat? And what did he think? And what did he, what did he believe? Right. And you know, that, that sort of imagination game is, is, okay. is just, is thrilling, you know, hum- cool. hu-
0: humanizing the experience.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Are,
0: right. are real flesh and blood human beings. That it's, are, it's not just a yeah. story on a page. It's real people experiencing this.
2: That's yeah, cool. and and that's what archaeology does for us. I mean, when as a biblical scholar, as a biblical—that's too big of a word. No, <laughs> no, it's, no, as it's a, not. As, as a Bible guy, you know, we uh, we You're read texts all the time. Hanging in, the bistro, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hanging in a bistro,
2: you know. Bible guys hanging in a bistro. Yeah, we bro. Read text, text all the time, and and you know these texts are the products of humans as well. And God's playing a role. I'm not right, denying that. Right. But these are the products of humans. But but they're but they're mental, you know. They're they're mental constructs. Mm,
1: okay. Now, archaeology touches the physical. Right. You know, it it okay. reaches into the daily life. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What would what would you say are some of the some of your favorite archaeological sites in in Palestine, Israel, in that in that area? What What are some wow. of the sites that you, you you they're really special to you, or that you you like to go back to, or Take people to, to experience.
2: Some of the special things are are sites, to be sure. But let me save that for a moment. Other things that are special are are geographical regions. Hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things we try to do when we do archaeology is contextualize. Just like a a Bible guy is going to read, you know, the the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John and say, well, how does that fourth chapter relate to the fifth chapter or to the third chapter? you know you want to contextualize a thing well when we excavate sites we try to contextualize sites as well and so whole regions become fascinating just in their interplay and there are regions that are just beautiful from a scenic perspective over there i can't say there's a a place that i enjoy more than the far north of the country okay it's called the hula basin Okay. Or the upper, you know, the upper stretches of the the River Jordan. Okay. It's just gorgeous up there. Mountains around, snow up on the top, and you know, whole constellation of sites underneath that interacted throughout the Old Testament period. So regions are fascinating. Jerusalem, the whole region of Jerusalem is fascinating as well right. for, for different reasons. But um, you know, these are these are fascinating regions that I like to return to over and over again. Okay. Sites? Oh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> I, I tell Dan is a site that's way up in the north um, in that Hula Basin area that I mentioned a minute ago. I think that's a fascinating site. The huge walls, gates. I dug there one season um, and got to experience something of the, you know, the, the, the material culture at Dan. That's, that's a way cool kind of place. And then there's some some sites in Jordan that are just knockouts. I, I mean, if you've never been to Petra, everybody's <laughs> heard of Petra, right. right? You know, Petra is is just a once in a lifetime kind of place to see. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, that's cool too. That's the one you're talking about that was in that one movie with the archaeologist, right? So,
0: oh, I thought you're talking about the band. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way back.
1: So uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking. I was thinking earlier. Indiana Jones. He had a teaching job too. I mean, even he had yeah. to you know teach to make a living. And he went stuff. to Petra. Are you Indiana Jones? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, sir.
0: You've been called that a few <laughs> times. I'm sure.
1: You got something else, Ryan? Anything else you want to ask?
0: Is, has there been anything recently in archaeology that that's really been profound for you? That it's been just anything interesting archaeologically that you think is really is is of high significance.
2: Well, sure. Uh, again, if we you know step back and talk about archaeology as illuminating or as you know, mm-hmm. illustrating the biblical world, just earlier this year, something came out of the ground way down south, almost to the Red Sea, um, way, 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 way down in the south, where it's very dry and all sorts of things are preserved, and they pull you know from the from the sediment a piece of wool that is that has actually been dyed. Right. Purple. Yeah. It was purple. It was a piece of purple uh, wool that I, I don't know if it was part of a, a garment or you know. There's not enough of it there to see, but the fibers could actually be analyzed. I could see that these fibers were um, dyed with the the kind of purple dye that comes from these sea uh, tiny sea creatures. You know to, that makes purple, and you got to squeeze. You, know, you got to milk about fifty of those suckers just <laughs> to get enough to. <laughs> So this is why purple is so important, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the first bit of, of purple that um, has been found. And, I mean, it was yeah. from the Iron Age, and it's dyed, and it's brilliant in color. And, and of course, the, the name purple uh, is applied to the Canaanites. When we talk about mm-hmm. the land of Canaan, you know, it's it's the the, the purple. And, and when you take a step further down the road, you know, the purple becomes the the Punics or the Phoenicians, you know, they were the purple people. Hmm. And so suddenly now we've got this for the first time, you know, some purple coming out of the ground and you think, wow, this gave its name to the entire right. region, you know, hmm. back in the period. And now we've got a piece of it.
1: It's what the people were known for is that,
2: yeah. is that color. That's cool. But it had to be, it had to be in a special area, you know, to be right. preserved. Yeah. Uh, where, where else would such wool be found? The other thing that just came out—you guys probably have seen it too—if you watch the watch Facebook, which is where we get all
1: the <laughs> news, right?
0: Yikes!
2: <laughs> the news reels and everything—they were bouncing around a, a, a Dead Sea scroll find. Yeah, we were just you talking know,
1: about that earlier. Yeah, we were talking
2: about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, this is the first time anybody's found any scraps from the Dead Sea Dead Sea scroll.
1: Fifty years, know, yeah,
2: yeah, fifty years, sixty years. Yeah. This stuff has been you know sort of dried up. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I have to be very careful, watch my language in front of a New Testament guy. It's written in that abominable Greek. Greek. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> yeah. part, part to,
2: of part of Nahum, right? Yeah, some minor yeah. prophet stuff. So, you know, it's it's written in Greek. It's it's a It's a translation. It doesn't align directly with the Septuagint, but it's similar to. Yeah. So it raises a lot of really cool
1: questions. I mean, so many. I mean, and this is where we can kind of geek out a little bit. But yeah, there was apparently more than one tradition of this. Mm -hmm. People were interested in translating this Hebrew text into Greek in at least, you know, a couple of different ways. That It's not just this one area down in Egypt where this is happening, but apparently other
0: places or,
1: you know, different traditions. It's interesting stuff. So.
0: Why do you think this work is so important? Why do you think it's so important that so much energy is expended into this? And why, you know, not everyone's a scholar like yourself or or Brian here. You know, like, why why should we care? Why is this so important that this, this work continues down this path?
2: Well, I think it's important because it demonstrates to us that the Bible did not simply, you know, drop out of the sky or fall into a vacuum. That it, it's actually... a a written uh, document that reflects real life in a real place. And I'm not saying there's no, you know, metaphor, you know, there's no parables in the Bible because obviously there are, but, you know, it's not like, you know, Abraham got up one day because his uh, Apple watch went off, you know, (laughs) the the alarm woke him up. But, But, you know, there, there, there are these kinds of details that are in the biblical text that show us what one of my teachers, Brian, you may remember a guy named Lewis Foster used to talk all the time about verisimilitude with the V verisimilitude that the, that the biblical text uh, aligns with its time, with its context. And there's great value in, in seeing that. And it gives us, I think, Encouragement in our faith, uh, the reliability of what's being recorded there.
1: So yeah, that's, that's good. Big stuff there. Yeah, that, that is important. It really is. And and you know, it, I think. The, and one of the things we try to talk about is it's exactly what you're saying. This purple was discovered just a little bit earlier, just in the last few weeks. We've had this this new part of the Dead Sea Scrolls that's been discovered. This this is an ongoing thing. This isn't something that happened 50 years mm-hmm. ago or 60 years ago. It's something that's happening right now and. You know, I've told Ryan, as techniques evolve, as, as, you know, we get better, even even satellites, you know, the, the fact that we're mm-hmm. able to see things now from the sky in a way we never have is, is giving us new insight into where some, some things can be found. And just really interesting that it's a live, ongoing uh, discovery. So, you know, Mark, you always tell some interesting stories. One, one of the things I find interesting is you spent a summer, if I remember this correctly, you know, one of the most famous archaeological sites, that was there for a long period of time um, is uh, um, now com- uh, 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 Jericho. <laughs> I completely forgot oh. the name of Jericho. <laughs> but you, you, you spent a, a summer mapping that, is that right? Like the older digs that had been done and, and so forth, is that is that correct?
2: Yeah, I was there, I, not a whole summer, but okay. I was there for a time. Okay. We, mapped, we mapped the site. We, it, I was working with the Palestinian Authority at the okay.
1: time. Jericho is interesting not only because uh, of the biblical account, but you know a lot of this archaeology we're talking about, all the techniques and things were practiced there. You know from a very yeah. early period of time. You know, K- Kenyon was there, and just you know, just at, from that aspect, probably one of the oldest inhabited cities. That we know of in the world, right there. You know, just very cool things about that. Here's where I was going with all this. I mean, that that's a cool story. But you've got all these cool stories, and we've kind of kept you uh, tell. I know that I'm putting you on the spot. What What do you think is just kind of a cool story, or something you think somebody would find interesting, or something that that you had happen, or something that you did as a part of one of these archaeological expeditions, or <laughs> nothing like putting you on the spot. Tell me, tell me yeah, something interesting, right, right. juicy that well, no one else knows.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you a story. It's not going to actually illustrate anything about archaeology per se, but it, it's a lot of fun. It, and it happened on my very first summer over okay. there. I, I told you that we were looking for this eye site, right, right. Uh, near Ramallah, and uh, having a hard time finding the things that we were hoping to find. Uh, the text describes walls and a gate, and we had no walls and we had no gate. Well, yeah but everything had slipped down slope and you know they could have been there lost um, how else can you demonstrate a walled city well the answer is by means of water system if we could find some kind of a water system like a water tunnel you know okay. that went under the ground oh, and, mm-hmm. you know maybe they you know would burrow under the wall bring the water by means of a channel so you thought well perhaps there's a there's a channel somewhere can we find the channel where do we look for that well it just so happened that down at the the base of the hill right under the site there was a well hmm. and the shepherds would come and they, would you know, water their sheep there. And it was, I don't know, maybe two, three meters in diameter at the top. And you look down another two, three meters, you could see the water black and ominous down there. Right. And you know, the five or six of us stood there looking down within. and the head archeologist says, I need somebody who's who knows how to swim, who'll go down there. Oh yeah. That's me. That's, that, that's <laughs> all, you know, that's what I want to do indiana jones right <laughs> so, i got a big breath sk- got down to my underwear you know and jumped in and only later did they say i mean, did you did you see that there were leeches in the water my gosh. In oh. anyway, i get down in the water get a big breath <gasps> and go down right and uh and a feeling you know around the side of the well and oh, there was there was like a hole you know i came up to the top i said there's a hole that goes back towards the hill they said oh that's great go in it <laughs> <laughs> okay no 20 you know 21 22 years old dummy dump. anyway i got big breath and went down in it and you know went probably a body's length the length of my body back into it and it was kept going i came up said it's still going No, oh, go farther, go find, it. Go find it. <laughs> anyway they they finally they got a light um, somebody ran back and got a light and they said okay we'll take the light and go in as far as you can see what you can see so I I, I got in the hole and bumped my way along and I'm feeling, you know ancient stones you know right. when was this made who knows and I felt there was there was an air pocket up above wow, wow that's good so I came up into the air pocket you know the water's like this and I got my nose you know out of the water right I'm under it under the ground, under you know, the stones <laughs> I'm up to get air and I, I had the flashlight right by my head and I and I turned the light on. And as soon as I turned the light on, it was like this thing was right in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I jumped back, hit my head on the rock. Oh, oh, as it turned out, you you know what it was? What? It was it was a two-liter cola bottle <laughs> <laughs> it was floating on the surface. Inside this water system, how the heck? How the wow. heck did that get in there?
1: That's crazy. <laughs> I had no idea two liters were that old. <laughs> yeah, well, plastic you know, it never dies. Yeah.
2: We we got yeah. back. I came back out. We excavated that whole length of the the, the channel. We thought, right. well, let's go on it. Go down on it from above. We followed it, and it went for I don't know, five ten meters, and then it just petered out and disappeared. Really? So it didn't. It didn't. It didn't take us anywhere. <laughs>
1: But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, made, sounds, it makes for good story. It's a great story. If
0: you hadn't let the two liter scare you, you could have swam right <laughs> down to the end of it.
1: <laughs> that is that I, I can just imagine a young young Mark doing that. Oh. That's that's the kind of thing you would do. That's that's great.
0: Oh, so
2: and my well, wife married married me anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got a final question here. You've led a lot of trips. What's the number one thing that most people mm-hmm. say they're surprised by or like they didn't expect? you know, as you've led them through these trips, like, is, is there anything like that that you hear time and time again as someone, as they visit the Holy Land for the first time, you're leading them on this trip that's that really surprised them?
2: Well, I'm going to voice it in, in my own way, but what I hear often is is diversity. They, they didn't think that the land was that diverse. Right. I, I, I say that because most of us have this image of the land of the Bible that comes off of a Christmas card, you know, yeah. with, the three kings riding across sand dunes. And and to see that there's actually many different types of landform there, that there's jungle, there's desert, there's ice, there's snow, there's swamp. Uh, The the experience of the diversity of the land itself usually shocks a lot of people. And they come back and say, I I never thought it looked like that.
1: Yeah, yeah that's I think that's true that was true for me I mean we went our first trip was in January and you know you're like oh bring a fleece you know bring a rain jacket and that kind of thing and and I remember being in Jerusalem on on uh, we were on the uh, Mount of Olives and uh, had my fleece on had my jacket on it was cool you know it was a cool day and and yeah it's very surprising but then you know as you travel down like you said to toward the the Dead Sea down into the Judean uh, wilderness it's you know starts to become hotter and the altitude drops and the temperature changes it's just a really yeah. really it is it's a very diverse place that's well said so cool well mark yeah. i i hope you've enjoyed our, your visit here and oh, yeah uh, you know
2: i'm I still looking for the for the treats you know <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> we'll see what we can do oh my i tell you what if we can get some maybe you could come back sometime we'd we'd love oh. to have you back at the Beast or another time so
2: well, I'd, I'd come back to the bistro even even, oh, okay. even without the donuts. Thank you.
1: Okay. <laughs> thank you for having me. Well, thanks for sharing. And, you know, just, again, appreciate your expertise, appreciate your ability to to communicate so well and paint some just beautiful pictures there. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you with us today, Mark.
2: So. Well, thank you. I'll put in the plug, uh, markzeese.com. You yeah. can you can always find
1: me there and yeah, very see what you're up to very good markz.com and if you do backslash stories is your blog and that's there's some <laughs> fascinating stories there in that in that blog very very much worth reading for sure
2: and and i think you can one <laughs> yeah time. there's
1: one story in there that i, yeah. I put it put as a part of it but yeah it's it's a lot of interesting stuff so
0: sure. very good well, well, ryan i'm gonna take us out yeah so. thank you so much mark appreciate it thank right. you thank yep. you take care Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next Tuesday, Brian and I are going to be talking about worldview. We're going to talk about what it is and why it is so important for our understanding of scripture and the world. Not only is this topic relevant for understanding the past, it is also relevant for us today as we interpret the world around us. Don't worry if you've never heard the term before, the idea isn't overly technical and uh, everybody can understand it. So join us for that. In the meantime, you can find show notes, links, and more for this episode and others at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan O'Brien's Bible Bistro. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it helpful, would you also please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? The more positive reviews we receive, the more likely others will be able to find and listen to this content. Also, we're gonna be doing a couple giveaways in the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't subscribed on the social media or the newsletter, you should do that now so you get notified as soon as we roll that out. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next week.